0: by the one and only Jesse Thomas, CEO of Picky Bars, Purple Patch Athlete, and now the retired professional triathlete. Yes, Jesse has hung his hat on a wonderful 10-year professional career, a career that I would say, as his coach for the journey, was one that was done right. And his journey, as well as the conversation today, includes many lessons of high performance, The importance of sharing the journey, the value of coaching, how to navigate adversity, using metrics the right way, keeping it fun, emerging stronger from failure. Sound familiar? The list just goes on, folks. And for the show, Jesse and I decided to do something a little bit different for this conversation. We wanted to reminisce on a 10-year coaching journey, and so we thought, what's better than just telling stories about each other, some of them funny, others poignant, but all of them carrying valuable lessons for us all. I promise you, you're gonna enjoy this. It's really fun, and I might point out, was probably the most unprepared I've been for any of these shows. I literally wrote down five or six bullets and said, you know what, let's go with it. And the outcome, organic, and lively conversation with a wonderful athlete great person and an incredible supporter of purple patch and before we dive into the conversation we are going to do a quick squatty update including a special giveaway to piggy bars and of course the jingle so let's get going with the squatty update first and there's two things this week and it's less about the purple patch athletes and more of something for you guys the listeners Firstly, a quick reminder, squad just turned one, yes, a year old, and we're doing a special promotion with a host, let's call it a bounty, of giveaways and prizes. And so if you want to get involved, you only have until May 24th. After that, you're out of luck, chappies, you get nada. But if you are interested, head to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash squad birthday. That's purplepatchfitness.com forward slash squad birthday. And all you need to do is register. And we're going to give you lots of joy and bundles of performance. Everyone's included. You don't need to be a triathlete to get involved here. We're just celebrating one year, our special birthday. You only get your first birthday once. The second part of the squaddy update, well, we also want to celebrate the power and value of one-to-one coaching. And this is really homage to really one of the most powerful coaching relationships that I've had. I said one of, not the Jesse, I want to point out, but one of the most powerful coaching relationships I've had. And Jesse and all of us at Purple Patch wanted to celebrate the value of what was the center of that one-to-one coaching. So for this reason, We are going to do something special from now until the end of June. For any one of you folks that registers for one-to-one coaching, as you listen, until the end of June, if you get involved with Purple Patch, we, Purple Patch, are going to give you a taste of picky bars. Yes, new one-to-one coached athletes are going to get a three-month subscription to the picky club, all paid for by Purple Patch three months goodness me gooey sticky goodness from now till the end of june details are in the show notes of how to get involved but if you see coaching in the future reach out to us delighted to have a chat support at purplepatchfitness.com and we can just have a conversation and see if it's a good fit remember it's only for new athletes from today as you listen through till june 30th jesse also wanted to let me know that all Purple Patch podcast listeners can enjoy 20% off for first-time picky purchases. And the details of that are in the show notes. So if you do want to get involved with picky bars, there's a couple of ventures and avenues for you. Now, with that little update done, and with Jesse going back into the shadows, and for me eager for you to join the Purple Patch tribe, let's bring Barry to the front of the stage. Because he is very quietly sick of playing second fiddle to Jesse for all these years, and now Barry, thanks for joining me here. It's your chance to share the limelight. You have any words, Barry? (laughs) Jesse Thomas. (laughs) Come on, Barry, speak up, mate. Come on. Uh, All right. Well. I guess not. Come on, Barry. You're embarrassing yourself. Get on with it. Just play it. Go on. Play the ukulele. Get back in the corner. Go on. In the shadows. Let's give us the jingle. It's Word of the Week. We
1: like the way he thinks. Serious with a the book. It's time to take a peek. It's the every
0: Word of the Week. Yes, the Word of the Week this week flexibility, and this isn't about your muscle tissue. As we collectively search our way through the fog of COVID, there are several themes that bubble up across the many conversations that I have over any given week. A CEO considering plans to reintegrate workers into the office spaces, a parent thinking about measures and ability to send their child back to school, An athlete planning ahead and thinking about training and racing into a race calendar that has no current fixed date yet. Or a global event organiser mapping strategies to execute a safe and magical race experience in communities all over the world. And the one theme that comes to the top of the pile every time? Flexibility. In fact, just last week, we held an invite-only roundtable with leading executives to discuss the concept of Emerge Stronger. And along with Tom Andrews of TJA Leadership, we collectively explored the new workplace environment and how it would look different for different businesses. CEOs, CFOs, CHROs, all contributing the most powerful message that resonated for every business, the need for flexible planning. And the reason? No one, no one truly knows how things are going to evolve in the coming months. Whether athlete, business leader, parent, employee, success will only emerge if we plan with the best data that we have at the time, but we retain a dynamic mindset or a flexibility to evolve. As we march on, it's going to be a prerequisite, a requirement. And really, when you think about it, that's no different than an athlete's journey. And you're gonna hear lots about that as you listen to our discussion today. And so, as you do plot your chart to emerge stronger, keep this in mind, flexibility. Oh, and if you would like access to the executive summary of the conversation that we had with those business leaders, I'm happy to share all you need to do is ping us purplepatchfitness.com forward slash flexibility and we will sent your way. A good three or four page PDF summarizing in a confidential manner all of their insights of what it's going to be like emerging into the new workspace. And so flexibility, the word of the week. Keep it in mind and evolve. And now let's get with the big man. Jesse Thomas is your meat and potatoes all right guys it is the meat and potatoes and we have well he asked me to say this let me just read it a very special guest (laughs) (laughs) and um today jesse thomas jesse thank you for joining us Oh, thanks for having me.
1: Is this, you know, question, is this going to be, is this a video or is this just audio? This is just audio, luckily. It is. Oh, good. Okay. Because I'm I'm glad that nobody else has to see you standing in, in your closet right now. I I'm am. I am standing hour. in my closet. <laughs> the, it is the worldwide
0: headquarters of the Purple Patch Podcast until the center opens up. Yeah. And uh, I, I will say, but the one thing I'm particularly proud of is, is my preparation for podcasts. I, I, I go to every nth degree to almost line by line. This is one that I am woefully unprepared for. <laughs> and, uh, so we shall see where it goes. But, uh, but today we get to reminisce a little bit. I think that many of the listeners would have seen that um, after a long career, 10 year plus career, you have hang your hat you have retired yeah. officially and uh, we've we've known about it for a, a little while yep and we we thought it would be fun for myself as your coach and you obviously as the athlete to reminisce a little bit and uh and talk about our coaching relationship but some of our favorite stories of the 10 years that we work with each other and um and out of those stories that, that uh, you and I remember, there are going to be some lessons for the listeners. And, yep. uh, and so we're going to go through today for the two or three people of the 15 listeners that, that don't know you, Jesse. I, I want to give a really small bio. So the first yep. and the most important, uh, you are married to Lauren Fleshman, who herself is, uh, is very well known in the endurance sports world. Um, is certainly the best athlete in the family. Yeah. And then two kids between you, Jude and Zadie. Uh, Zadie hasn't caught up to your athleticism, but Jude has bypassed you. So you're now the <laughs> third most athletic person in the in the Thomas family. Yeah. Professional uh, triathlete for the whole of your professional career. You were a purple patch athlete, which yeah. is uh, one thing that I'm uh, very proud of. But but also, and I think really salient to our conversation today, you're the CEO and founder of Picky Bars. And and I think this is this is really important to the fabric of your story, because we, we started together right when Picky Bars with, was in concept, and was taken in the kitchen starting in 2010. Yep. Uh, which I think is that the first year that you won Wildflower, 2010. It was
1: two, it was the May it was May of 2011. May so, of 2011. Uh, yeah, so it was. But but you're right. We started Picky Bars right. Um, right around the time that you and I started working together, which was, I think, the fall of 2010.
0: That's right. And, yeah. uh, and uh, you have evolved from the kitchen in your house to now 10 employees and on track for about $4 million in revenue in 2020. So you have built yep. a very, very legitimate business. As a pro triathlete, uh, prior to your um, triathlon career, you, of course, ran at Stanford. You were a very... Well accomplished steeplechase runner, but as a triathlete over your career, and this this is worth building stats. Two-time Ironman champion, Ironman Wales, Ironman Lanzarote. In Lanzarote, we remember you beat a certain Jan Frodeno. Mm-hmm. Three-time Ironman 70.3 champion. You went seven hours and 54 minutes at the legendary Challenge ROT, or Roth, as the Americans would call it, with a two-hour 44 marathon, two-hour 44-minute marathon. The thing that perhaps you're best known for, six-time wildflower champion, one of the legendary races in the world. Longtime triathlete magazine columnist, Triathlife, which many people might not know, used to be mine. But you took it over and actually made it better and good. <laughs> <laughs> and one thing that many people might not know, you were the originator of the Flat Bruce.
1: That's it's true, right. isn't it? I, so, I mean, I think I brought it to triathlon. You, you, know? you
0: brought it to triathlon. For you guys that uh, have probably seen this now, the pre-race pictures of all of the equipment laid out with a photograph, I guess, from above, almost from the light fixture yep. type thing. Person and, laying
1: down next to it,
0: yeah. Exactly. And the final component, component that many people will know is uh, you, are, you are well known in your racing for sporting aviator sunglasses. Right. In fact, the, <laughs> the Roka... Aviator sunglasses really only
1: came about because of you, and um, great—that's the craziest thing. I—that—that I, that has the, the craziest result of my entire career—is that that became a thing.
0: <laughs> do you do you know that there was uh, there was only one time that uh, I saw you in sunglasses that were not aviators?
1: Oh yeah, what is that?
0: That was a a time. Here we go. We're already into stories straight away. We <laughs> haven't even talked about the framework <laughs> of today. But uh, the, the first time was. At the uh, at the World Championships in Mont uh, yeah, back then it was either Mont just the regular seventy point three, or yep. it was the World Championships. But uh, our condo was at the top of the village, and if you remember, we had to walk down yeah. to down the condo. It was about a three hundred yard walk, and it was probably right at the peak of your um, of of people really knowing you as an athlete and it was a very condensed area the village was just crushed with people and you couldn't walk more than a yard without people stopping you and Mm -hmm. we were heading to the pro meeting so you put a hoodie on you had a hoodie on with different sunglasses (laughs) and uh, you didn't have a sponsor you were free to wear whatever you want at the time and uh, and no one noticed you at all it's uh, true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that, that was the only I time. I really, I you know, know. I,
1: just, I just put on like a just a normal pair of sunglasses and nobody recognized me. That, that's all it takes. <laughs> so,
0: so here's what we're going to do. We're going to look back at your career, look back at your lessons and, uh, and a 10-year coaching relationship. Highs, lows, laughs. But most importantly, I think lessons out of it. And uh, I, I want to say this up front. And, uh, and hopefully we won't get too emotional today, but uh, I think it's important as we do, because I'm sure we're going to laugh and probably make fun of each other a little bit today, but every coach that has the opportunity to work with world-class athletes, and and I know it's a privilege, I know that I've, I've been very, very lucky with the athletes that I've worked with, many of who you mentioned in, uh, in your blog, which people should read and we'll add to the show notes. Yeah. Rasmus Henning, Chris Lieto, uh, Lindsay Corbin, Sarah P- Piano, ma- many, many athletes, Tim Reed. Um, a handful of athletes, every coach admits this, that, that a handful bubble up to the top where you just have these special relationships. And, and typically they're built in longevity because you go through a, a time of working with each other, but you're also going through a really important passage of life. You're, you're both growing as human beings and individuals. And I think that for you and I, for me, our coaching relationship was one of those. And, um, and it was, it really is very much at the the top of my coaching relationships. And so it is with great fondness that I get to look back with you today.
1: And I'm really excited to do so. Oh, thanks Matt. I feel the same way. I think we, uh, I think it was, um, you know, we, who knew what we were getting into, right? Like 10 years ago, and it's just crazy to think about it. And I, and I think that we, I think what's interesting, just playing off of what you said, and and then we, we can go into the lesson. So I don't want to belabor it, but the, um, you know, we had both of us went through big transformations, like to, just over the course of that, t- over the course of that 10 years, like me discovering triathlon, becoming triathlete, you really like becoming, you were, you had been a, a successful professional coach, but really like coming into your own as a, as a coach as well. And, mm-hmm. and framing yourself as the, as, as, as the coach that you are and then building the systems that you have around purple patch, like Kelly join, joining you, you know, as opposed to you kind of being solo. I mean, when you started, it was, it was mostly you now you have a team and, and, um and then the last, and then last thing, um, we both had kids too we both had our first our first you know our our kids during that time and which is another just transform transformative life event you know so just it's crazy yeah it's a big it's a big shift and i think it was
0: part of the unique side is that we were both building you were building a professional triathlete career and a business. I was yeah. developing as a coach and building a business. Yeah, exactly. And, and we got to share those experiences. And, and then, most importantly, we both built families. Yeah, and, totally. Uh, and so, uh, so, yeah, it really was sort of, it's been, it's been a decade, that's <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. So, so here's what we're going to do, listeners. We're, we're lo- looking back and we decided on this format. We've got a few stories and uh, thinking back over the decade, uh, I asked Jesse to think of two or three stories that he remembers being coached by me, and I have done the same for him. And uh, we're going to talk about the story and then draw the lessons out of it. The lessons will probably bubble up and uh, go from there. In fact, there's a TV show, a British TV show, that's very famous in England called This Is Your Life. Yeah. And uh, they, sell, they surprise the guest, you come on oh, yeah. and um, there's a very big red book, British listeners will remember this, and they bring out all of their lifelong friends. Huh. Well, we're going to do that version, but it's just going to be you and I, because they, <laughs> this is most of our lifelong friends, me and you, yeah. but, uh, <laughs> but we'll go first. Before we dive into the first story, I, I'd just love for you to give us a couple of minutes on your decision to retire and how it feels right now.
1: Yeah. Um so the story is and you know, and I encourage people to read the blog. Um the um the story is uh in twenty eighteen we decided to do Challenge Roth to, and, and the and the back even lead into that is in twenty seventeen I raced my second Kona. I was really well prepared. My Daughter ended up being born six, seven, five, five days, sorry, before the race. Mm-hmm. My second child, my daughter, I left like 24, or 36 hours later, went over, was in a great spot to have a great race, um, ended up not having the race that I wanted because of cramping and just a whole bunch of stuff kind of unwinding in the second half of the race actually related to being right behind Matt Russell when he hit a car in the middle of the race as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, and ended up kind of knowing at that moment that I was just done with Kona. And I'd spent the last two years doing Kona, and I just really wanted to spend the next whatever doing something else. And so knowing that I was done with Kona and wanted to do something else, we decided to do Challenge Roth. And um, so I went into Challenge Roth uh, with big goals, I wanted to not only do the race but I also wanted to finish in the top three. I wanted to go under eight hours, which was another one of my big career goals and um, and I wanted to run a sub two forty five marathon and we um, I knew I was in great shape going into that race, but I also knew that my body was near breakdown you know i'd had all these kind of like injuries popping up left and right over the last like really 12 to 18 months. And it was kind of hanging on by a thread.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Went in there, had an amazing day, f- accomplished all those goals that, that we mentioned. And, um, but knew at the end of it that I really that I physically I really needed a break. And then it just so happened that um, the business was kind of in crisis as that was happening back home. And I ended up, I say in the blog, I ended up having a call with our contract manufacturer at 1am Germany time, literally like eight hours after I finished challenge Roth. I mean, it was just crazy. And, um, so I took a break, I took a break for my body, for my business, and then also for my family, um, spend more, more time with my family. And the, 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 the plan was, you know, six to eight month break. I'll start racing again in the spring. We got, that, we got to the spring of 2019 and I was still working really hard on the business. I still needed to spend a lot of time there and I still wanted to spend a lot of time with my family. And we decided, you know, I'm just going to run a marathon as my athletic goal, thinking maybe I had an outside chance of qualifying for the Olympic trials, which would be a really cool story because it would have been on my 40th birthday. Um, got in really good shape for that and just overdid it a little bit and broke my foot in the process. Um, a navicular stress fracture, which I'd had in my other foot, knew that that was like a year to recover from, and then started recovering from that. And then now we're like a year later, basically, and it's COVID. And so it's, so the, the, the kind of story about my retirement is that that's funny is that, um. I feel like, you know, you and I have talked about, it. I feel like I've been retired really for like nine months, you know, if, if not more, at least from professional triathlon. And, um, and so I kind of felt silly about making an announcement about it. But then when I talked to Triathlete Magazine about it on their podcast, it was news to them, you know, and, and I wrote something for it. And it was really cool and weirdly emotional because it it shifted from this like private kind of thought that i'd been having to a public thought and our kind of a, a public statement and um it was just really it was really really cool and really nice to see that people cared and that and that um everything from like congratulations great career to very specific i met you at you know, wildflower this one time, and you were really nice. And, you know, or I read your triathlete magazine article, every single one of them, or you inspired me to, you know, do this in the right way with trying to be a good dad, like just really like specific things. Mm -hmm. And now that just felt really good. So I'm really glad that I did it that I didn't just like not say anything. um, Because it, it felt good and cathartic to me, but I think also cathartic to like my audience. And and the industry to a certain extent. So it was, it was a nice moment. It's funny.
0: It's uh, when, when uh, Roth happened, you think about those goals, it was, you know, to podium, to go under eight, to, go faster than 245 and we, we won't talk about the race because I think you've, you've done a great podcast with Lauren uh, over that racing experience. Well, good you well. and
1: I did a podcast about that race. That, that, oh, that's that right. Was yeah, really
0: it was, good. yeah, that was really good. Lauren yeah. and I are pretty much synonymous. So, um, but, uh, but it was, it was just a, 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 such a crazy experience for you. And I think that we both knew at that time it probably ain't going to get better than that. Yeah. Like when, that when perf- performance meets potential, you know? And, yeah. Uh,
1: that was the combination of just knowing how lucky I was to like get to that start line in the, in the fitness that I had with, with like the just kind of how my body had been breaking down, you know, it's just like, I don't know. just don't, I just kind of knew like, man, getting to that level again is going to be pretty tough, you know?
0: Well, it's, it's funny because when, one of the lessons we'll talk about today, that was another prime example of the route to performance is not a straight line very yeah, often. Totally. And, and throughout your career, we have had to, probably more than any other athlete, in many ways of what I sort of inherited with, with your genetics and your, your prior injury frequency yeah. and with, um, with your running career, we have had to think out of the box more than... definitely more than any other athlete to find performance. And um, there's a lesson right there is you can, you can do a lot in, uh, in different ways. And, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about your, your running volume and how incredibly low, you know, 20, 25 miles a week to get ready for two forty five marathons off the bike, but using the multi-sport approach to get there. But um, anyway, let's get into the stories. I'm going to go first. Um, Yeah. So my first, my first story for you is, uh, is an, and Ben Hoffman professional triathlete might get a, uh, might get annoyed at this because um, I'm going to call you the Hoff in this story because you, you were called the Hoff. This, this story is the conversion to the, and I put it in parentheses when I made a note into the swimmer. And, um, <laughs> do you remember your yeah, relative yeah, relative? Exactly. <laughs> You're, um, so, so for the audience, when we, we need to go all the way back to the start of your professional career for this. And as soon as you started, as soon as we started together, our, our quest was personal excellence and yep. world-class. We wanted yep. you to get you to world-class. And you had a running background, you were naturally strong on the bike, and you swam like a donkey dipped in cement. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you also had a really long history of running injuries and... Yep. Um, and so with that quest, it, it didn't take me long because I'm not too dumb to realize that you had something special. You, you had all it takes and you had a very, very big engine, as you might call it. And um, the question that I did have as a coach, though, which is what I would always have with everyone is, OK, great. He's got great physiological traits, but does he have the right traits, I guess, set of traits and characteristics to do what it would take to actually get up there because I I knew you had the work ethic, but I felt like for you to truly become world-class, it was a multi-year journey and Mm -hmm. um, much of it would not be that much fun because the only route for you to be competitive at the world-class level was to do a whole bunch of stuff that you don't have a massive passion for and you're not that good at, which is swimming.
1: Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that was that was a um that was a shitty part of the of the process (laughs) it it, it was a shitty part of the
0: process (laughs) so here it is folks this is it and and this is this is not a poetic license for three years in a row for three or four months of the season the winter months almost 50 percent of your training hours your weekly training hours accumulated swim, bike run were swimming yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of swimming. But the other thing that I uh encourage you to do or was a non-negotiable was you have to find a group of people to swim with. You can't do it solo and they must be faster than you. So you being you, you went and found that group. Just just explain who you <laughs> swam with.
1: Oh. <laughs> <Well, laughs> it was a combination of a couple things. It was timing, So, you know, most people would be like, well, you go swim with a master's group, right? And um, the master's group, I was living in Eugene, Springfield at the time, the master's group met at this pool that was across town. Uh, It was like a 15 minute drive. And they met at like 5am. And I was like, I'm not gonna wake up at (laughs) 5am, which is the total like runner way to look at swimming because every swimmer is used to just waking up at 5am for swim practice their whole life. And I'm like, this is bullshit. Like, I don't (laughs) can't believe that swimmers live their lives like this. I'm not going to wake up at 5am for practice every day. So what I found was, um, and then there just so happened to be a a community pool in Springfield that was like eight blocks from my house. And they had a team practice at 330 in the afternoon. It was the high school kids, (laughs) the high school club team. (laughs) And so I talked, I got introduced to the coach, Dan, really nice guy. And I owe him a lot. Um, and I said, Hey, I'm this, I'm a, you know, ex collegiate runner. I've just recently become a professional triathlete and I'd really like to swim with your group. Is that, is that okay? I'm a really nice guy. I promise I'm not a weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Whatever else, and he kind of did some background checking on me and then and then was like okay yeah you can come you can come swim with us and um and he let me swim with them and I worked uh and these kids I mean these kids were still are faster than I will ever be and um and so it was amazing um amazing experience to see to swim with kids ages 13 to 18 who were you know, some of them were some of the best in the state. And, um, you know, I w I w they were two lanes up for me, four lanes up for me when I started. <laughs> yep. And, That's uh, fun. but yeah, it was really fun. Um, but I was that like, uh, 30, 31 year old super hairy dude that would show up and try to, you know, be racing these, you know, mostly, mostly like the 13 year old girls, like, you know, uh, not, obviously, but I was racing them myself. They didn't really know that I was doing that, but, um, but yeah,
0: I'll notice you were, and that, that was, as, as a coach, I remember that, and I, I picture it. You, you yeah. mentioned Harry, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember giving you a few days, and you I, I called you, or you called me, and, and I said, how'd it go? And you said, they call me the Hoff. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. and i can just picture it you know like runners always wear their swimsuits just a little too high on the hips yeah. so, you know and swimmers have them very low so you can oh, show the v so bad. and um and i mean you went through many months multiple years in a row and and the culmination of it was this thousand i think it was a thousand for time that you did and you you had
1: this yes. nemesis this, is, this, at, was the, this was the my first triathlete magazine article. Oh, was it really? Yeah, it was literally my first one. It was called The Nemesis. And it was the 13 year old, or maybe she might've been 14. She was a freshman in high school. She was in my lane. I swam like behind her or in front of her the whole time, or we were, all, or we were in lanes next to each other. So we were like trying to go. And I, I was constantly competing with her, even though she didn't know that I was competing with her. And so I thought I was really close to her in, in level, in ability. She ends up going, and and I went, and you asked me to go do a time trial. So I actually went to a, my first and only ever swim meet <laughs> I've never, ever done one swim race, and I went to the swim meet, and the girl goes in in the thousand, in the open thousand, before me, and she swims like I don't remember the times, but it was uh, she swam the equivalent of like one fifteen, I think, or one twelve somewhere in the 112, no, yeah, somewhere in the 112 per hundred yards for a thousand, right? And, and I thought I was going to swim like 116s, 117s per thousand or per hundred. And I was like, wow, she ended up swimming so fast. I'm going to swim like 40 seconds faster than I, than I thought I was going to. And I get in the next thing and I go out at like 113, 114 and I just, die like 200 (laughs) meters into it end up averaging like 122s (laughs) she beat me by like a minute and a half (laughs) that was terrible appropriately humbled but yeah i
0: think that the uh i think that the lessons out of that firstly was you you said this process this was part of the process was fun but it was essential and i think that if i draw from anything it's actually a very stoic mindset because you, you had always this belief that you could go to world-class but you were brutally honest with your reality of your yeah. current status and one of your traits as a professional athlete a big reason that you have been successful is your your long-term thinking and your ability to really commit to the journey and uh, you you never fit suited like sought a, a quick fix and um and I think that very few have the courage to be humbled, to put themselves in, in really exposed situations uh, so that you could embrace the challenge. And that was a challenge in order to grow. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think that was, uh, so, so, so that is our first story. I yeah. think it was a, a great it. thing that people people are too worried to, um, to be uh, exposed and uh, Meet challenge with fear, and you met challenge with, uh, with a mindset of growth, which I think was wonderful so, uh, so it's over to you for your first story
1: well so my my first one that that I wrote down was that it's actually parlays well from the one that you that you mentioned, which was just the long term goal setting um, so i remember um, I, I, I actually wonder if you can help me remember the specificity of this or the specific instance, but there was some point i think it was after so the first year or two we um year year and a half we kind of i ended up winning wildflower which was just a shock to both of us that first Mm -hmm. year and then i kind of was getting my bearings in the sport um and then came back and through some of this work was able to win wildflower again and and got even prior a few weeks prior to that Oceanside was third at Oceanside, which was a big breakout race for me in a super deep field. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I think it was after I won the second wildflower, um, where you said, Hey, take some time We're you know, and then after you have a little break, we're going to meet up and have a, um, chat about some goals and, I remember being like, okay, this kind of seemed like a more important conversation than I, within like I was used to. And we, um, and we sat down and we, and he's like, I want you to think about this. This is your goal. Three years, 70.3 world champion. And I just, I just remember you telling me that and the audacity of that goal at that time in my like life and in my career at that point in, in the, uh, For me to think like 70.3 world champion was just so far beyond something I had contemplated in my own mind. I think I was still like, I was psyched that I had done, you know, that I had, I was still like living in the present moment and I was still very excited about what I'd done like with Wildflower and whatever else, but that, that seemed like such an audacious goal that it it didn't make sense to me. But then through talking to you about it and think and thinking about it through like this kind of three year timeline, I was like, Oh, okay. Three years. If we back that up, like that's, that doesn't seem like crazy, you know, like that seems like there, there's a chance for that. And, and it was really like three years. You know, if you fast forward, I broke my foot. Um, I had, uh, you know, and this is telling kind of a lot of stories at once, but I ended up having a great season, not having a great 70.3 world champs, but I was like somewhere in the top 15 that, that, that year broke my foot the next year, even though I was like in a sprint finish with Andy Potts at world at, at 70.3, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. um, at Oceanside saw three or four guys that I had beaten get top six or top 10 at at 70.3 worlds that year and so it took me a couple of years to come back and then in 2015 which was three years later um had a chance you know outside of a drafting penalty which I've talked about and leads to some other stuff but you know wasn't a chance to get top five at the 70.3 world championships and that was kind of after guys like Jan Ferdano and Javier Gomez had also joined in to the 70.3 world championships and so it was just crazy for me to look back on that, even though I'd never accomplished that goal of 70.3 world champion or like top five at the world championships because of what happened in that race. Like I was there and I was at that point and to look back on that, like three to four years prior to that and think about the long-term goal setting that got me there and to, and that focus, that was a big, that was like a big lesson for me that I feel like you brought to me as an athlete was this kind of like really long-term looking and, um, and the lessons from that uh, I think are that that has helped me not get so caught up in like short-term ups and downs and short-term hurdles that are happening. Like whether it's a shitty race, shitty workout, Um, an injury of some kind, you know, like, um, not, not putting short-term gains in front of, um, in front of sacrificing kind of the long-term process and, uh, you know, and it it leads into everything that I'm, that I'm doing now with business and the way that I look, the way that I'm approaching the next four years with picky bars and, and everything else I've made, I've made, um, I've made adjustments and calls in the last 12 to 18 months where I've turned down opportunities at big retailers because it didn't fit the long-term strategy for what I thought, how I thought picky bars needed to develop as a brand and where we needed to be positioned and stuff and stuff like that. So it's just, it's, it's played into that overall long-term mindset. And I don't know. So that was a super valuable lesson.
0: Well, a a couple of things that bubble up from that that I think are are me worth explaining from the coach's side. The the first is you have to be very careful as a coach establishing that goal. And I think one of the things that that a coach's responsibility is to really consider if an athlete can handle a goal like that emotionally. And the reason that I felt, the other thing is it has to be authentic. So at that time, now 2012, I felt like if felt things fell into place, you yeah. deliver yourself to be in a place physically that um, that that was within the realm of uh, of possibility. And as you mentioned, the whole sport got a whole lot faster. At the same time, we we know that you you got there or thereabouts. And and ironically, that's my next story. But the reason that I could put that type of go on you is because the thing that has always driven you is personal performance Mm -hmm. and when an athlete is driven by personal performance effectively being the best that they can be then you can put out a goal that that lifts that yeah and and is not a shackle yeah because, because one of the things and you've got a very good athletic iq as i like to call it and one of the things that some athletes respond well to is like shit that's big Let's go on the journey, but I'm not going to be defined as a pass or, or fail athlete if it happens or it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And so that's number one. And, and that was always the case. That's why I knew that I could give you that. Firstly, it was reasonable. Second, I knew it wouldn't shackle. It would inspire. The second thing is that out of that, those three years, and it leads into my, my next story, but <laughs> performance is not linear. And yeah. Those three years were nothing short of chaotic and us responding to challenge, different Definitely. challenges, making mistakes, getting overtired, getting niggles and injuries with broken yep. feet, etc. And yet you circumnavigate and you continue. So, so I'm going to use that opportunity to go to my next story, yep. which is uh, ironically navigating adversity and failure. And it, it is about those 70.3 world championships. Yeah. So Zalem in in, um, in Austria. And so it, it, this is really funny that you, uh, that you, that you yeah, mentioned it's funny. that goal. Yeah. Uh, going in three years later for when we established that goal, I knew you were good. Yeah. I was like, shit, daddy's done well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but sometimes, as a coach, there's that feeling where I was like, "Wow, this—I mean, there's a, a lot of good people at this race, and Keenley was obviously absolutely up yeah, there. Yeah. But a similar swimmer to you, and but you had the Fredanos and everyone else. That I think Gomez was yeah. even in that race, and Gomez was, uh, well. yeah, yep. And I just thought he's got a shot here. He's he, he genuinely got a shot. I just didn't see your riding had gone to a level that I didn't see anyone out, you know, obviously Keenley being a stronger rider. I knew that you could ride with Yeah, The swim was solid. And um, that event for you, and we we won't go through all of the details, but basically it's middle of the night, my time, tracking it on the cruddy coverage that was at the time, you know, very limited coverage and tracking. And suddenly I worked out very quiet. They're talking about the front group and here comes Keenley. and behind him, there was a man in aviators mm-hmm. and um, suddenly you disappeared off of the coverage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and obviously I was worried it was a crash. It was a technical course with descending. And then you popped up about 10 positions back or 15 positions back. And yeah. little did I know that you'd got a penalty and look, penalties happen in pro sport. For yep. drafting. This was one that was you got an apology for afterwards it destroyed your race it was a mistake you 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 got screwed so right when you managed to deliver yourself to a world championships in the physical peak of really your career you got blindsided and um, you got a bogus penalty you ran well but you're out of contention that was I think a probably the biggest low of your career in some ways
1: yeah it was definitely the
0: biggest disappointment yeah two years later you went and took two years two weeks later 13 days later i think you went and did your first iron man at wales uh you, you stole a nice saying of mine which is cool races in cool places yeah but um you, you turn it around and and you win that race. And um, for me, that was ironically from the lowest point of your career, you had, that was outside of Roth, maybe the pinnacle for me. That was was such a great, because it was a smart performance. It was a courageous performance. It was patient. The race strategy was to go and train all day until the last 10k basically and you did exactly that every decision you made was smart and um and you won the race overall and the the the, the key out of that for me was you had this failure this this failure pushed on you not because of your performance the process that you went through was great two days of grief you needed Mm -hmm. two days and then you converted it to ambition quickly Mm -hmm. and um you know two weeks later you had one of your greatest days in the sport and and i think that it's for you it's controlling the controllable and um and realizing just as you said the long even as the end of that three-year journey races still don't define you as an athlete or a person yeah and um and that was such a uh such a sort of great episode that many people are inspired by. And I I know that the other purple patch pros are inspired because you, you you was robbed as they say in England and suddenly you came out of it and emerged to a great performance. And that's one of my highlights.
1: Yeah. It's one of mine too, for sure. I mean, it just, it's just like, you know, with every door that closes another one opens, you know? So I, I think it's, it's, it's that, it's that kind of like faith almost, you know, I'm not like a faith-based person, but, it's, but it's, it's that like if you put in the time, you do the work, you know, opportunities will arise and you just have to be open to pivoting, pivoting to them, you know, and that was, that was a, definitely the, the best um, example of that during my career. It's crazy. That was fun. All right, let's try and get in at least one more story. Okay, well, so the next one is good because it's me kind of making fun of you. But it actually, but it actually has, actually has. It is based in. There is a lesson in there. Oh, great! <laughs> so, Matt, before there were, before there was Training Peaks and whatever else, all the stuff, all the software that, that is used now. I used to get, um, I used to get all of my plans, all, all of my workouts from Matt on a PDF. That, that basically just had a calendar and had the workout in there and um and then and a lot of them because we were kind of constantly updating it through you know every few days, a lot of it was just email as well, just like okay, do this for the next few days based on how you feel and then everything else and one of the things that that Matt always said and that I used to make fun of him about with like uh, with my uh, like originally Matt Lieto and then some of my other um, purple patch teammates was the terms that you would use to describe how what the effort should be (laughs) there are many and but the one it was so that i have this quote that i feel like was a it's made up but it's something that you would have said to me heading out to a bike ride to like okay i want you to do six times ten intervals i want you to keep it smooth but strong you know you want to push it but smooth it out too it can be a good effort, but not too hard. You, you know what I mean. <laughs> and so, and so, I just remember this like this overuse of the term, of, to me, overuse of the term smooth. Because if you think of smooth, smooth can mean smooth can mean so many different things. And, and, and so be, before I let you jump in. <laughs> the, it's the, the lesson, politician in me. <laughs> no, no, this is it. But the lesson, the, there, there's a legit lesson in this. And the, the lesson is that is not being focused on an exact number when you're out there training and really utilizing your kind of internal metrics, your internal gauges, how my body feeling, how, how, is my, um, how are my legs feeling, you know what, how, how do I just feel in general? And leaving yourself open to a range of outputs on the day based on those things and so for me so that the smooth thing was fun because i always felt like you were giving me these intervals in a super just like super vague way (laughs) you know like like you know the smooth and strong mean you know 280 watts or does it mean 360 watts you know for this interval and it kind of and a lot of times it was me kind of feeling out what what made sense on the day which was which was good because it gave me opportunities to to go for it when i felt like it was appropriate and then also opportunities to not um feel like man i can't hit 330 today and this workout is shit or i'm trying to hit 330 when it feels terrible and i bury myself and so um you know, so it was uh that was, that was one of my, that was one of my lessons. It's just this kind of like going off of a feel, it really like going off a of feel in your training versus like trying to really check the box. And I think a lot of amateurs in particular tend to over check the box and over like, look at these things very analytically and detailed as opposed to, to listening to themselves. So yeah,
0: I call it a yeah. dynamic mindset, Jeff <laughs> <Dynamics. laughs> uh, that's, exactly.
1: that's I knew I you'd have some, I knew you'd have some catchy term for it. <laughs> yeah. It's uh
0: and it's, it, you're dead right. Smooth. So it should always be smooth. Though, it should always know? be yeah, smooth. Yeah. Really hard, but it should look like a ballerina.
1: Yeah. And, like smooth. Yeah. You
0: know, I remember you, Climbing up to the uh, the Kahalas in Hawaii, and he looked like a bulldog humping a cricket ball. And I said, "How about you ride the bike smooth?" And your power went up. So yeah. it's, it's always no. I think it is that, and the 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 word precision and, uh, yeah. and paralysis of analysis comes out of that. And I think yeah. it's the curse. And, it's one of the negatives of what is a positive, the introduction of metrics into sport and analysis and everything. And the funny thing is we did a whole bunch of stuff off a feel because you were really in tune at the same time. We kind of analyzed everything.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. We were always looking back on it. Yeah. Looking back
0: and reviewing and and adjusting on the fly. I think that the other thing is you mentioned at the front of that story, I'd write you a PDF because we were doing it across PDFs and a, the same time it was a live document would consistently totally. change it hence training yeah. became this email goodness me it's yeah. got more complicated Has yeah. <laughs> yeah those was really easy days so so here's here's a quick fire just to finish and yeah. uh so i want to know two to three lessons from you and i'm gonna and then i'm gonna tell you two to three traits two to three lessons from you that you're gonna carry out of professional sports into been a ceo and or father either one or both and um and it can be very short and succinct this is quick fire just one sentence if you want what are the two to three things out of everything that you've learned that you're going to carry forward
1: super quick the the first one i already talked about which is just setting long-term goals and and focusing on the overall process as opposed to getting caught up in in the short-term um bumps that you hit along the way and that I've like I said I've already used for business and will use specifically for the next four to five years as I go into the next phase of piggy bars. then the second one um, quickly is this is this idea you probably have a better term for it, but this um, phases of unbalance lead to overall long term balance and um, I think m- as my career progressed and my the the demands of Ironman increased my training demands and the demands of picky bars increased my picky bars demands and the demands of my family increased my family demands. I couldn't do all three of those equally all the time. It was impossible. And so I had to be able, I had to get more and more comfortable with this is Ironman phase. I'm doing less in less at picky bars, admittedly less with my family This is picky bars phase. I'm doing a lot less with triathlon and a little bit more with my family. And this is family phase. I'm trying to minimize my picky bars and triathlon output. And, um, and overall over the course of the year or whatever, it was relative balance, but it, but it was never in perfect balance.
0: Yeah. I think balance is a myth. And uh, I would say sort of two, two things there. The first is intentional focus. Yeah. And, um, I think balance is important to achieve over a, the long course of time. Yeah, exactly. And, and all of the constituents in any one in your three buckets there yep. have to be on the journey as well. Exactly. And uh, yep. that's the, so communication is massively important yep. uh, so, that, so that no one or, or no people are feeling neglected. And, yep. um, and, and as that, when picky bars was the focus that meant, meant that you had to communicate with me and we, and we did we had long times that we were like pretty low key and then we'd check in and then boom it would ramp up and yeah and um and i think that's a key component it's and and i think that life work balance is a myth i think it's more life work fit yeah exactly. uh, and that's what you go through On so so here are my two or three characteristics and and these might surprise you or a couple of these might surprise you uh well (laughs) The, the first is, I, I'll start with it because it's that intentional focus. Bizarrely, mm-hmm. and we didn't speak before this, but your ability for big picture thinking is going to serve you well. Both coming up for perspective, people coming out of the weeds. I've, mm-hmm. I've seldom met someone that has a, a, a greater ability to do so. The second, which I think you should never lose. And I think that you need to lean into as a CEO, as much as you lent into building your, your let's face it fan base, but your mm-hmm. audience in triathlon is, you have an unbelievable ability to bring others along for the ride. And that is going to serve you as a leader Thank uh, you. to have really serious messaging, being able to be delivered in a humble, in a passionate, in an approaching and a really funny way. And, um, and I think that's a, a part of your DNA, but it's something that sometimes you as an athlete, you can say, well, this is important. How am I going to do it? But if you just replicate that as which you are, I know as a CEO, you're going to be successful because bringing people along for the ride, I think is the magic. And it's much less lonely by the way.
1: You know, it it's, I appreciate you saying that it's good to hear because I need, I actually do need the reminder because it's, it's funny. It's having been transitioned into full time ceoing now it's a lot like full time racing where you just start to think that all that matters are the stats of your training and whatever else and and it's easy for me to get so buried into our internal stats the spreadsheets that i'm working on the pl- the plans that i'm working on to forget about bringing people along for the ride and how important that is to the health of the business as well. So, and I, I think the onus is on me to essentially to hire, to, to make it important enough to hire people to do the, the, the other things when I can't do them all. Exactly. And for me to, to make sure that I continue to tell stories and continue to, to keep people in the loop as a result of that. So I, I think I'm going to try to focus on that quite a bit more. So
0: I think it's great. And G- then my, my final one was yeah. just, um, uh, two words that I've talked a lot on the podcast about, which is somebody's ability to be coachable and change able and, uh, people, people that are the highest performing people that I've worked with, both in sport, but, uh, but also in business, you know, that I work with a lot of CEOs and executives mm-hmm are incredibly coachable and you always are. And, and I think that's a great asset. Don't forget to remain coachable as a leader and yeah. uh, your mentor going to be your most important thing. And then we talked about the nonlinear progression of performance. You better be really freaking good at adapting to changing conditions and Absolutely. living it right now. This is, this is all a part of it. And you, you, you have all of that. So the, the yeah. connections between sport and your sport and your, future life uh, are there for all. And it's, it's just wonderful. So they are. Um, so I, w- I just want to thank you for the journey. Thank you for the, the lessons that you brought me. Every athlete teaches a coach uh, in many ways, as much as a coach teaches an athlete. So uh, thanks so much for the journey. I know that we, we obviously continue on with our friendship and uh, yeah, and mentorship but uh, but thank you jesse and congratulations it's been yeah
1: thanks great. a bunch matt i like i said you you and kelly and just everybody at purple patch made a massive massive impact on my career and and just uh, on me as a person and so i really really appreciate it man good stuff take good, care huh? jesse all right <laughs> thanks bye. bye
0: okay folks that's jesse jesse thank you so much It was a privilege to have the last dance with you. And now it's time for us all to go back to bed. A fun journey of lessons so much achieved. And remember, listeners, folks, three months of free picky bars by registering for one-to-one coaching. Details in the show notes. Back to business next week. Until then, stay smart, stay healthy, take care and don't forget. It's the squaddy birthday, purplepatchfitness.com forward slash squad birthday. Get your prizes there. It's like a carnival, isn't it? All right, have fun. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers!